We're so glad that, that you continue uh, to come and to be faithful to the house of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Anybody got kids here today that have been disobedient? <laughs> uh -huh, I can tell from the underlying laughter there that uh, I've touched a nerve with some here this morning. I think all of us were at times disobedient children. I think any of us that are parents have had our children be disobedient at times or uh, one time or another. Among whom also we are all, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Why is it hard, so difficult to do the right thing sometimes? It's because of who our parents are. I'm not talking about Dennis and Carolyn Rice, my earthly parents. But the Bible says that I am a children of what? Wrath, right? What is wrath? Wrath is anger. Wrath is fury. It's, it's a deep anger, deep fury. And the Bible says that that is our parents. If you raise a child, a child is born into a house that is full of nothing but anger, wrath, strife, misery, fury. If fists are flying and words are flying and they're screaming, yelling, and hollering. What are you liable to raise? An angry child, right? That's all they know. And so that is why we, that is why it is so difficult for us because we, by nature, are children of wrath. What a mess. Nothing but negative. And that's why I'm so thankful that Ephesians doesn't stop there, but it goes on to say, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, <laughs> hath quickened us together with Christ. That word quickened does not mean made us faster, sped us up. It means he has revived us. He's revived us. That we're dead in sins. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. I just wanted to, to teach a lesson that I've entitled, But God. We all have a, a, a point in our life, I, I came to a point in my life where I uh, related more to the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 than I related to the last few that we just read. Uh, there were times in my life where things were a mess, where I was living out uh, my life as a child of wrath, a child of anger. And I know I'm not speaking to uh, people here today that have never, uh, never had that 
happen in your own life. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's easy for us to relate to anger. It's easy for us to relate uh, to sin. It's easy for us to relate to the, those first three verses that we just read this morning. And I, I was thinking to myself, what a mess I was. When I came to God at, at the age of 17 and, and really uh, made up my mind to serve Him, I was an entire mess. I was uh, into all kinds of things that I shouldn't have been into, doing things I shouldn't have been doing. I was a very angry young man. I, I had problems that were going on, and I was going nowhere fast. And the other day, uh, I began to uh, take care of a problem in our own backyard, we had a tree that had overgrown, and it was now hanging on the on the roof of the house. And, and uh, this tree has uh, a lot of these little berries on it that fall off, get in the gutters, clog things up, cause a lot of problems. And I saw that even though right now the berries are just coming out that uh, come fall, that they're going to begin to drop, and they're going to cause me a lot of problems. It wasn't really causing an issue per se right now at, at this very moment. But I grabbed the chainsaw and I grabbed the, uh, the, the, the pole trimmer and I went out to the backyard. My wife was out there and a couple of my grandkids, uh, they were running around just playing, having a good time. And I began to uh, trim the, the limbs off of that tree. And I got up in there and I noticed a lot of things that, that I hadn't seen before because the tree right now is very green. But I, as I began to look around, I saw a lot of dead stuff, a lot of dead limbs. I must have taken five or six limbs that uh, I hadn't realized had died out of that tree. And then I began to trim off the other limbs that were going to create problems for me later. And, and as they fell, and I was dodging them, trying to keep them from breaking any windows. You know, uh, I, I like to try to fix a problem, not create another one uh, while I'm fixing one. So I was trying to keep the limbs in their place, and they were falling to the ground, and I was, I was covered with sawdust, and, and I was itchy and scratchy, and all these limbs were laying on the ground, and I began to work my way around. I kept getting tangled up in them. They're not your regular tree branches. I really don't even know what kind of tree this is, but it just seemed like the limbs go every which direction on these, uh, in this particular tree. And I was tripping and stumbling a little bit here and there because uh, I looked around at all the limbs that I had taken out of that tree. Uh, and I looked over at my wife and I said, what a mess. And it was, it was a mess because you, all around that entire area there where I'd been trimming on that tree, there were nothing but, but limbs that I had taken out. They, it was necessary to take them out. And that's when the Lord kind of spoke to me and he said, yeah, he said, that's the way it looks a lot of times when I'm taking dead stuff out of people's lives. That's the way it looks a, a lot of times when I began to prune things out of people's lives that, that doesn't belong there, that's going to cause troubles later on down in their life. It looks like nothing but a mess. And I thought about where I was when God found me and, and what I must have looked like to the casual bystander. What a mess I was. And God began to do some things in my life. And God began to take some things out of my life. He saw some things that were dead. He saw some things that maybe weren't a problem at the moment, but he could see down the future of my life to where uh, they were going to become a problem. And I allowed God to begin to prune some things out of my life. But to the casual bystander, it may have looked like nothing more than a big mess. 
And it continued to look like a big mess until I began to drag all the debris away and I took it over to a burn pile and I burned it all. And now we were sitting out there last night and I looked over that tree and I thought, I don't have to worry about that anymore. It's not a danger to the house. It's, I've taken out, it's not a danger to itself. I've taken out all the dead limbs that would potentially cause a problem. And I got to sit back and relax and enjoy the fruits of my labor. Everybody needs a but God moment in their life. Because every last one of us are born, the Bible says, into sin. That's not your choice. That's just the way it is. Your nature is to uh, be a child of wrath. You didn't get to pick how you were spiritually born. You were born into sin. It's just the way things are. But that does not mean that you have to remain that way. There is a moment in everybody's life where God has placed a small little portion of faith in every human being that has ever been born, and God can come into a person's life, and he can give you your own but God moment where everything begins to change. Amen. We were trapped. We were trapped by the sin that was conceived in the world a long time ago. But just because we were trapped doesn't mean that we have to remain trapped. Somebody hear what I'm telling you this morning. Uh, I, I think about uh, this tragedy that happened this past week, not too far away from here in Branson, Missouri, where this, uh, this, uh, this boat, this duck boat, uh, capsized and 17 lives were lost and how terrible a thing that is. And I was watching uh, a, a little... Uh, portion of the, a news broadcast uh, where one of the survivors uh, was talking about uh, her experience and how she knew that she was uh, deep down. The, the one, one moment she's riding along having a good time with her family. Uh, she's on a, a, a boat that, that has never had a problem before. Uh, she didn't, uh, I'm sure, get to know who the captain was. She didn't ask him what his credentials was. She just trusted that everything was going to be okay and that everything was going to be all right. She entrusted her life and the next thing she knows she goes from having a good time to, to being underwater and trying to fight just to survive and one of the things that she said was that once she finally reached the surface she said I couldn't hear anything and I couldn't see anything I got hit on the head, and I took a deep breath, and I, I began to wonder where my family was at. I wondered where my children was at. I, I, I didn't know where anybody was at. And one minute you're taking a ride, and the next minute you're fighting for your life. And that leads me to, to think about this little thought that I had. You better know who is piloting the vessel that you choose to get on. Now, I'm not saying it's completely that the captain's fault either. In this particular case, I'm not pointing fingers at him, but I do think it was probably a very un un unwise decision to go out on that lake with a storm that was rolling in. See, sin has a way of subtly trapping its victims into thinking that everything is normal, everything's just another day, everything is going on just the way it always has and it rocks you to sleep uh, from the danger that could be lurking around the corner when all of a sudden everything seemed to be okay and then the next thing you know you're in a place and a position and a spot in life where you don't know how you're going to get out of it or if you can ever get out of it 
The truth of sin is this, that there is pleasure. The Bible tells us that there is pleasure, but the pleasure is short-lived. It's not going to last nearly as long as the pain that accompanies the pleasure. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The fact is that sin is a reality that you and I, we have to deal with it. We have to come to terms with it. We have to finally come to the realization that it has us in its grips and we're never going to escape it unless we have a but God moment. We have to come to the realization that we need a Savior, that we need God in our life, that we can't overcome it by ourselves. Romans 3.10 tells us, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Well, I'm a good guy. Amen. I give food to the poor. I, I, uh, I help out with charities. I, I treat my wife good. I, I'm a good husband. I'm a good dad. The Bible tells us that our righteousness, the best that we can be on our own, is as a filthy rag. So if that don't burst your ego, nothing will. <laughs> Compared to, to God, the deal, here's where we make our mistake. We compare ourselves to each other. Well, at least I'm not like them. Or, you know what that is? That's the spirit of the Pharisee. Looking at the publican. And in doing that, we don't help ourselves out, out in one little bit. We cannot compare ourselves amongst ourselves because none of us are righteous. None of us are holy on our own. None of us can make heaven. We all are in need of a Savior. We all are in need of a but God moment in our life where we come to the realization that we are lost until we find Him. For all have sinned and comes short of the glory of God. So the sin that we deal with, where did it all start? Well, everybody says, well, that's easy. Adam and Eve. No, they messed it up. Well, they messed it up for humanity, but that's not where sin started. Sin actually started with an angel of light. Isaiah 14 and 12 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nation? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Here's where, here's where the, the downfall actually starts when he begins to lift himself up. You see what happens here? It actually is counterproductive to self-promote, to, self, to, to, to raise himself up. He starts falling the moment that he begins to promote himself. And, and he says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. He's trying to lift himself up. And the whole time he's trying to lift himself up, the word of God says that he is falling further and further. He's trying to give himself some, uh, some, some credibility. And the whole time he's losing credibility with the one that created him. To the sides of the pit, they shall see thee, shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee. Saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble? that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners. Verse 13 says, Lucifer was full of pride. 
Pride causes a lot of problems. Pride will cause problems in a marriage. Pride will cause problems in parenting. Pride will cause problems being a child. Pride will cause problems uh, in your relationship with God. It'll be pride that'll keep you sitting on a pew instead of coming up to an altar, thinking, what's everybody going to say? What's everybody going to think? And once again, there we find ourselves comparing ourselves with ourselves. What's brother so-and-so going to think? Or what's the pastor going to think? If I go up there, I'm telling you, you don't need to worry about what any human being thinks. You only need to worry about what God thinks. And God thought enough about the moment of trying to reach somebody that is a sinner, reach somebody with a but God moment that he went all the way to Calvary. He robed himself in flesh. He came and he gave his life so that we might have that but God kind of moment in our life where we would have the opportunity to come down and realize I can't do this on my own. God, I need a Savior. I need a but God moment in my life to change me because obviously I cannot do it on my own. Lucifer had misguided ambition. Now, ambition is not a bad thing. Ambition is good. I like to see, uh, we were talking about this uh, yesterday. I had a very long day at work, and I got back in at the end of the day. I'd call my wife, and, and she, she is always so good to listen to me when I, I call her and tell her about how my day falls apart, and she'll just be, uh, she's so sweet and, and encouraging, and, and I was telling her how things had just fallen apart, and I was going to be home later and what I really wanted to be, and then I got back over into St. Louis to the station, and my boss is there, and he says, what are you doing? And I said, uh, just doing what I normally do, what you need, and he said, we got 1,200 pieces from a shop that typically gives us about 15 to 20. 12, can you help me offload this? I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yep, you better believe it, you know. And the whole day had been just like that. And, and uh, we just had one problem to the next uh, take place uh, on, on the job. And I was talking with a, another young courier that had been with the company for a couple of years, and, and we were talking about ambition and how he hopped right up in, in that truck, and he began to help chuck that freight and get it off that thing. And uh, he was talking about uh, new workers and how, uh, you know, if they come in, they act like they don't want to be there, act like they don't want to work, and this and that. And we got to talking about what, what impresses us as people, uh, especially if you're at a level like my boss is, is people that show a little ambition. I want to be here. I want to do a good job. I, I want to move up. Uh, if the opportunity uh, avails itself, I want to do uh, what is right. And so ambition within itself is not a bad thing as long as it's pointed in the right direction. The problem with ambition is when it gets misguided and causes us to do things that are ungodly. Now, Lucifer was ambitious, but his ambition was misguided. And oftentimes that equals another word, which is rebellion. Misguided ambition can often lead to rebellion. Wanted to do things for the wrong reasons. God has a lot of nervous children. Let me explain myself here. The Bible says that perfect love casts out how much fear? All fear, right? There's a lot of fearfulness that I've seen, not just in the world, but I see a lot of fearfulness in the church. And so I've asked uh, God, you know, help, help me understand this a little bit. And, and I was having a conversation 
with somebody about this. And uh, let, me, let, me just, let me just say this. Let me ask you to go back to when you were a child. Let me get, give you an analogy here to work with. When you were a child, okay, I'm going to ask for a little honesty here today. All the, all the good children, raise, raise your hand. Okay, one, two, we got, okay, all the, okay, we got about eight or nine. All the bad kids, would you raise your hand if you were bad? Oh, my. <laughs> uh, we had three children, and uh, I, think, I think they were all basically good, but, but occasionally, uh, occasionally, one of our children would do something bad. You know, we all got that one friend, that one friend that, that uh, gets us into trouble. Oh, come on. It won't hurt anything. They'll never know. I saw a post. It was a memory from uh, my Facebook uh, uh, from a couple, maybe four or five years ago. I don't know if you remember me telling you about this, but I ran into my old high school uh, algebra teacher. Uh, we got to know each other very, very well because I spent three years in the same class. <laughs> you spend three years in the same class, you get to know the teacher pretty well. And it wasn't that she just loved me so much. It was just that I threw those years away. And I have a lot of regrets. And, and so I had a high school buddy that, that was that friend to me that uh, uh, always was getting me into trouble. And so I, I, I put this little post out there and I said, you know, I finally ran into my old high school algebra teacher. You know, and I said, after all these years, uh, you know, I finally got to apologize for my misbehavior in her class. I said, so I finally fessed up and told her uh, what I'd been wanting to tell her all along. And then uh, I, there was a little pause there. I said, Darren Ridgway made me do it. <laughs> now, Brother Graham, you know Darren Ridgway. Am I, am I lying or not? No, he, he instigated so much stuff. And I was just that poor sap that sat there like, uh, you know, he'd say, I bet you won't do it. And it's like, that's just a candy stick for me. Uh, you tell me I can or I won't. Now I got to do it. You know, uh, Brother Graham was kind of like that the other day uh, out at uh, Elephant Rock State Park. He's like looking at this jump he had to make over about a 10 or 12 foot drop. And he said, oh, I don't know. If I get over there, I can't get back. I said, you better not do it. And what he says, he turned around, and looks at me and he says, now I have to. <laughs> I thought I have become that friend that gets people in trouble. <laughs> And so we all had that friend that, that gets us into trouble. And, and uh, so, you know, uh, growing up as a kid, I always looked forward to my dad coming home. My dad was a, a loving father. It was always fun to, to see him come through home. But there were occasions when I had somebody over at the house that was like, oh, we won't care. You know, go ahead and let's play baseball in the living room, you know. Uh, I, I've never missed one yet. And the next thing you know, a lamp's broken, a window's broken, something's, something's messed up, or you've created a mess. I, I was always going out to the, to the shop and, and making a mess. I, I remember uh, having a little BB gun that my dad bought me and I thought this is so cool I can sit right here at the back steps of the house and I can shoot and make little indentations in the in the shed door and I've kept shooting that shed door and I made a smiley face you know I, I'm just making I'm so proud of all my shots well here's what happened I did not look forward to my father coming home that day once I realized what I'd done, I'd been a bad, disobedient child. Here's the deal. Here's what I'm trying to get across to us today. Disobedience will make us very nervous. 
But when we have a perfect love for our father and our father tells us, don't do this or I need you to do this or I, I've told you don't play a ball in the house. I know who's coming over. You're having Darren over today. Now remember what I've told you. Don't you boys get into any trouble. And as long as I obeyed my father's rules, as long as I obeyed my father's directives to me, I didn't was never nervous about him coming home because I knew that my father loved me and I was always looking forward to seeing him. The problem is we live in an age of disobedience where we're willing to serve God on our terms and only do the, a certain amount of things that he says but we've got this little voice in our ear that says oh come on this won't be so bad over here or you won't get caught or why don't you come over here and do this thing and the next thing we know we're nervous about our father coming home. Perfect love casts out all fear. I'm not talking about accidents. I never got in trouble because of an accident. My dad loved me. Well, what were you doing? Well, I, you know, you told me to, to throw the wood down in the basement and get, get it through the window, and I accidentally, you know, knocked off some of the trim. Hey, accidents happen. Why? Because I was doing what he told me to do. God is not concerned with you having an accident. God is concerned with us being obedient. If you have a perfect love for God, you will do what He asks you to do so that you are obedient to Him. And if you are obedient to Him, your fear of Him will disappear. Verse 14, back to the lesson. Self-exaltation. Satan said, I'm going to do my own thing no matter who it hurts, whether it pleases God or breaks his heart. That really is just almost a form of self-idolatry. We feed the flesh. And that's what the Bible was talking about back over here in uh, Ephesians. He said, you know, you were dead. You were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the desires of the mind. You were self-exalting yourself, giving yourself whatever you wanted and not thinking about God, your heavenly Father, not thinking about who else it might hurt. But verse 15 tells us where these ambitions left Lucifer. Tells us that those who thought Satan had so much power we'll see exactly how powerless he really is. You know, oftentimes we follow somebody because we think they're cool or the rest of the world looks at them and idolizes them. And the next thing you know, we're changing our fashion statement or we're changing the way we talk. Or we're trying to mimic something that, that the world sets up on, on, on a pedestal somewhere. We're trying to emulate somebody from this world. Let me tell you what's going to happen one of these days. We're going to see how foolish that really was. There will come a day when those that seem powerful here are going to be understood exactly how powerless they really were. So Lucifer, he's cast down, and in his hatred for God, he introduces sin to the one that God loves, the one that God created. Eve takes of the fruit of the tree, of knowledge of good and evil. She gives it to Adam. And by one act of disobedience to God, sin is introduced to the human race and man is brought under the dominion of sin. It has you. If you've never 
If you've never given your heart to God, if you've never followed the gospel message, sin has you. And even after you receive the gospel message, sin tries to get you back. It's a fight. That's why the Bible tells us, be sober, be vigilant. You have an adversary. As long as you're here, as long as you're living, as long as you're drawing breath, you will fight the lust of the flesh, the lust of the mind. You'll fight the pride of life. You'll fight the adversary. There will always be these things in this world that will try to strip away the thing that God has given you. They find themselves trapped. Can you imagine? I just got to know. I mean... God said, stay away from this one tree, and I'm looking at that one tree, and that's all I can think about. Why is that? <laughs> when God tells us no, it becomes almost like we just, and we hone in on it. The one thing we shouldn't have. He gave them everything else but the one thing that they did not need. I don't need the knowledge of God. I don't need to be as wise as God. I'll never be as wise as God. And yet they looked at that tree and they took of the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now, now they know. Okay, now we have a knowledge. We have the knowledge that we sinned. We just blew it. We're trapped. What have we done? Here's another truth about sin. It never affects only the sinner. It always has a far-reaching, rippling effect that is not satisfied until it has hurt as many as it can hurt. You have somebody, we just buried one of my cousins, um, one of my wife's cousins actually, not too long ago. He just turned 40, 41. Got involved in some things. Eventually, I won't go into the whole details, but it took his life. He's laying there in a casket. You telling me that nobody was sad? You tell me that didn't affect anybody else? Well, I'm just hurting myself. If I'm just, you're never just hurting yourself. Never. We're always affecting somebody else. There's always a rippling effect. You and I have no choice in the fact that we are born into sin. But Paul wrote this, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I am sold under sin. The slave has no choice of his master. We are simply the slave. Adam and Eve sold us into that slavery, and since that time until now, no man outside of Jesus has been born without a sinful nature. But because of one choice, we all suffer. But Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And here's our out. This is our answer. And it's not just an answer. It is the answer. Because no man cometh to, to the Father. There's no other way. There's gonna, you're gonna, you can go on the internet and find anything that will agree with your line of theology. I mean, you can believe in some crazy whacked out stuff. And you can find somebody else that's just as crazy and whacked out about the same thing as you are. There's somebody out there that will agree with you no matter how messed up the theology is, no matter how off base it is. There will be somebody that will try to help you feel like you've got the answer. But there is no other way to heaven. We must come by the God 
gospel message, the Acts 2.38 message. Amen. There is no other door but Jesus Christ. There's no other word. There's no other revelation. Amen. The word of God is true. It doesn't contradict itself. Amen. What we need today is a realization that we must have a but God moment in our life and come to the terms and the fact that we need a Savior and we must confide in His Word to find out what He has for us. You and I couldn't afford the price that was demanded for our freedom. Your blood's not good enough. You couldn't go and die on, a, on Calvary's cross and say, okay, now I'm, I'm saved. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't even be obedient enough within yourself. You can't be good enough. Luke 19 and 10 tells us, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, if that's the case, He's looking for you and He's looking for me. Because I was lost. And I'm still wrestling with flesh. I still struggle with my mind. I still struggle as long as I combating the enemy but you're the preacher you're the pastor I thought you were I'm telling you we are all human beings and we all have a fleshly carnal nature that we must get under subjection so how do we do that we consistently as Paul said we die daily what are we no I'm not telling you go home slash your wrist (laughs) I'm not talking about suicide he's talking about our We get our fleshly man, our carnal nature, and we subject it to the spiritual nature of God. Not an easy thing. When you first come to God, it can seem overwhelming, the changes. God is not so much concerned about you changing overnight as He is about you allowing Him to transform you day by day. It's not so much the speed as it is the direction that you're heading. That being said, if God tells you to do something, you need to do it. Don't let your earthly ambition turn into spiritual rebellion. If His Word tells us to do something, we need to obey. Because everything that we obey Him on will come back and bless us in this life. You're saying, I might be a mess. Well, so is that that tree. That tree seemed a mess. It was hard to move around. But I'm telling you what, when God began to trim out the dead things in your life, the things that are going to cause you trouble, it may seem like a mess, but let Him pull it away and look, set back and watch Him create something of beauty God wants to use every last one of you that are in here whether you've been coming to this church all your life or you walk through the door the first first day God wants to speak to you and God wants to use you and God wants to save you